Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Christmas episode of Team West Covina, a crazy ex-girlfriend podcast. I'm your host, Paisley, and today is Saturday, December 15th, 2018. This is episode 10 of the podcast, and we're discussing the Christmas Hanukkah episode, My Mom, Greg's Mom, and Josh's Sweet Dance Moves, Season 1, Episode 8. It aired on November 30th, 2015. It was written by Rachel Spector and Audrey Washup and directed by Stephen K. Chichita. The IMDb synopsis says, Stress levels skyrocket when Rebecca's passive-aggressive mother arrives for Hanukkah. Meanwhile, Heather and Greg spend an awkward Christmas at his mother's house, and Josh attempts to recapture his former dance glory. As always, there's a spoiler warning. I could be discussing anything that's happened in episodes that have aired so far. At the moment, we're actually between the end of the fourth season arc and we're in the winter break so have not seen the last half of the fourth season yet but looking forward to it we start off this episode with a ship from europe to america 1901 rebecca's ancestors you can see them bringing the garfinkel ring over from europe and there's an indication that there's been a long line of parenting like this Probably Naomi was parented in a similar way to how she's parenting Rebecca, possibly even, you know, a history of mental illness. It seems like that may run in her family. And I also heard that Rachel and Tova had a hard time memorizing and pronouncing all this Yiddish. So as the episode opens, we see Rebecca has to literally redecorate when her mother comes. She has to present this facade because Naomi doesn't seem interested in knowing the real Rebecca. She's taking down all the Christmas decorations, putting up Hanukkah decorations, plopping a picture of her mother on the table in the living room. Then as Rebecca enters White Feather with Calvin, uh, they make a few Jewish references, Krav Maga and Sabras, and myself not being Jewish, I had to go find out what these things were. So if anybody's curious, Krav Maga is a military self-defense and fighting system developed for the Israeli defense forces and security forces that derived from a combination of techniques from boxing, wrestling, Aikido, Judo, and Karate, along with realistic fight training. So hopefully that explains Calvin's noises. And Asabra is a Jew born on Israeli territory. We see Paula trying to avoid Calvin, but he approaches her. She asks how the grief group is going, and Calvin responds in a way that makes it clear he's still grieving quite a bit. She sort of reaches over to touch his shoulder, but nevertheless, Paula seems totally over Calvin. When he leaves, she says to Rebecca, I can't believe I almost slept with that guy. The juxtaposition is a little bit awkward. It almost makes it seem like Paula is less attracted to him because he's grieving in near tears which gets dangerously close to the territory of being turned off by a quote-unquote emasculated guy. Obviously, I don't think that's the intended message the show wanted to send. It was just the fact that the two lines followed each other made it a little blurred. And I think the first time I saw the episode, I I thought that might have been why. But seeing it again and, and knowing everything that has happened before and after... I think Paula seemed like she was under Calvin's spell in the last episode, and then Rebecca basically broke the spell, and she just doesn't see him the same way anymore. It was just that her line response is still pretty ambiguous. Paula might have said, I can't believe I almost slept with that guy, as if she's marveling that it could have happened, rather than it being a judgment on Calvin as a person. 
in any case, she seems to brush it off. I think probably the fantasy of Calvin, along with the attention he was providing her that Scott wasn't, once she worked past those two things, seems like most of the feelings were pretty much gone. So then we get this great scene with young Rebecca and Naomi. Rebecca tries to please her mom by saying that her principal, Principal Kessler, thinks Naomi is attractive, and Naomi isn't impressed because the principal is married. So Rebecca says she heard his wife is frigid, and this is when Naomi says, go on. So we see that Naomi's open to pursuing a guy even if he's in a relationship, so Rebecca then follows this example as an adult. This also really makes me wonder about Naomi's dating life post-Silas. When we see her in the show, she always seems pretty desperate for a guy, and yet also resentful that she didn't get to live her own dreams of becoming a rich lawyer. Has Naomi ever had a serious relationship after Silas? We don't see any evidence of this so far, and it certainly would have been important to know if Rebecca had another father figure in her life at some point. It really seems highly likely that this never happened. So think about how long Naomi's been more or less alone. I mean, are, are we to assume it lasted, you know, almost two decades? That's a really long time. But as far as we know, Rebecca didn't have another alt-father figure growing up. Naomi may have at best dated or slept with some guys over the years, but she must be incredibly lonely and bitter. Yes, her personality has partly affected her outcome, but she's also been dealt a bad hand, which just amplifies any problematic personality traits. Later at Whitefeather, Naomi says to Rebecca, I gave up law school and sacrificed my dreams for you. This has caused her to have some resentment towards Rebecca, even though she cares about her. Naomi feels like she lost both romantic love and her career, so of course she's living for her daughter and interfering in her daughter's life far too much. I do feel sorry for how Silas treated Naomi. That's had a massive impact on what the rest of her life has been like. Silas may have walked out, washed his hands of Naomi and Rebecca, but both of them lived with the damage this entire time. You can't completely avoid your actions having a strong effect on other people. There's no way around that without isolating yourself. And even then, the people who already care about you would be affected. So then we get the actual entrance of Naomi into growing up Rebecca's life. And it starts off with a song, Where's the Bathroom? What an entrance. Tova is so commanding, she's constantly interrupting herself in the song as she gets distracted by other things. She inappropriately looks down Rebecca's shirt to see if she still has eczema. She picks up a bunch of condoms by Rebecca's bedside table and says she won't get a husband this way. Even though we can completely understand and sympathize with Rebecca feeling overwhelmed and defeated by her mom because she's so critical, judgmental, and makes Bex feel badly about herself. What's interesting in this song is that Naomi is trying to help Rebecca in her own weird, abrasive way. She sent Rebecca lotion for eczema. She seems to be on the verge of offering to get a bath mat for her so she doesn't slip and fall. But her tone and her delivery and the way she does it is so off-putting. We also see Naomi make multiple comments about weight, both in flashbacks and in present time. Not just Rebecca's weight, but also her own. She's dieting in a flashback, and she also tells Rebecca in West Covina that she had been on a diet that cut out carbs entirely until she passed out at Bloomingdale's. Yet, in the petites department, Naomi almost makes it sound like it was worth it. Many of the physical critiques Naomi throws at Rebecca, which are absolutely uncalled for and very hard for her to hear, 
nevertheless seem to have been motivated by Naomi's worry and fear that Rebecca won't find a husband. She worries Rebecca is too chunky. She worries that Rebecca is not wearing enough makeup. Naomi cares about Rebecca, but she has this need to control her, which just crushes any chance they have at a healthy healing bond. We know this weight thing comes up again in third season when Rebecca says that her mom made her take laxatives the week before prom. So while Rebecca could have easily envied Valencia's body on her own, the way her mom presented weight to her all her life has probably not helped matters. Naomi is one of the least self-aware people on the show, and that's saying a lot. Naomi tells Rebecca not to interrupt her, quote, you're always with the talking when all Naomi's done since she's set foot in the house is talk. She even interrupts herself. Naomi doesn't recognize the ways in which she and Rebecca are alike. For example, not only do they both have a big focus on romance, but Rebecca steamrolls Paula quite a lot in the early days, talking over her, not listening to her, not consistently being a good friend back. It's hit and miss. They have a much more positive relationship than Rebecca does with Naomi, but you can see Rebecca take on some of Naomi's traits in a more minor way. She even does it to AJ as late as season four. Rebecca gets wrapped up in what's ever going on with her, and so does Naomi. Naomi is always comparing Rebecca to Audra Levine, but that's really because Naomi is always competing with Audra's mother, and it's just extended to their daughters. The mothers are frenemies, so the daughters are frenemies. Naomi wants Rebecca to keep up with Audra because in Naomi's mind, this reflects on her. She wants to save face in front of her own frenemy. It really doesn't have much to do with the girls themselves. We see in the seventh episode of fourth season how much it matters to Naomi to save face. She's facing Audra and her mother, being honored with an award, trying to get the comedian to introduce her. Naomi is very clear with Rebecca that her pride would be wounded if Rebecca was open about her life to Naomi's crowd, quitting her job as a lawyer to open up a pretzel shop. Her mom seems to put pressure on Rebecca to be a certain way because she's worried about what other people think and has a lot of pride, so she seeks to conceal anything that would make her look pitiable. And I almost feel like I understand that more than you know pushing your daughter to do something or be a certain way. If you really think about the motive and where it's coming from and what Naomi's actually trying to prevent or conceal, it makes a little more sense, even if it's unfair to Rebecca. I mean, here we have Naomi caring so much about what other people think that it's actually severely affected her relationship with her daughter. So in the next scene, Heather meets Greg when she's working at a Christmas mall or market as an elf, and when she hears about Greg's family dinner that his mom is hosting on Christmas Eve Eve, she asks, can you bring someone? This is almost similar to Rebecca doing a socially awkward thing, yet Heather somehow manages to pull it off and actually help Greg in the process. Sometimes I feel like the show doesn't critique Heather for being blunt as much as it critiques Rebecca for some reason. Probably because a lot of the time Heather's correct, but the delivery and the approach are still similar at times. At the office, Jim accidentally outs Rebecca for not wearing pantyhose by giving her them as a Christmas gift and commenting on how she never wears them. It's her mother that instilled that in her, and we know as soon as she gets to West Covina, she stops wearing pantyhose. Naomi tells Rebecca she's working with losers at Whitefeather, which causes her to have a flashback of her mom telling her that her friends are losers, her father is a loser, and Rebecca herself is a loser. This is the same term Silas used to describe Rebecca's friends at her birthday party as a kid. Later at lunch, Naomi asks if the person who's meeting them is, 
quote, strange, and comments that Rebecca never had normal friends. So both her parents emphasized the importance of aligning with people who are viewed as higher status by society and not associating with people who could potentially be seen as lame or embarrassing or unaccomplished. Rebecca immediately abandons her Whitefeather crew and says she's only volunteering to help out an underprivileged law firm. This sets up a larger pattern of abandoning people who don't fit the high status mold, even if they're the people who are most loving and loyal to her. Rebecca is so concerned with pleasing her mother that she's willing to throw other people under the bus just to keep up an illusion. People pleasing can be helpful to a certain degree depending on the environment, but it can easily be taken too far. Rachel Bloom has talked about how she's struggled with this sometimes too. We get these little, almost subliminal sound effects every time Rebecca tells another lie. They're so quiet that many people may have watched the episode and missed them entirely. It's like the audio equivalent of watching her nose grow longer. I completely forgot about this exchange too when Rebecca's at lunch. She says to her mom, So yeah, I had to break up with him. He was a Saudi prince, but he wouldn't convert, and that's a deal breaker for me. He was so upset, he couldn't drag race his Porsche for weeks afterwards. Her mom asks why a prince was in West Covina, and Rebecca counters with, He wanted to buy it. Lovely man. We still text sometimes. Unbelievable how far-fetched this is. Rebecca's terrible at lying and how far it is from Rebecca's actual experience. She hasn't had a consistent, solid romantic connection yet in West Covina. So then Paula comes in masquerading as a British Jew. She's so hilarious. This is really funny. And she's such a good friend. She tells Rebecca privately that she took a corporate improv class. And interestingly, Paula also says that she doesn't approve of this whole codependent charade. Huh. She totally misses that she and Rebecca are setting up the same dynamic, but in a friendlier way. However, it's still early in the season, so it hasn't grown into its full capacity yet. As Greg and Heather stand on the doorstep of Greg's mom's house, Greg seems determined to view his mom in a negative way. She seems really warm and welcoming on the whole. When Shauna says, I've been dying for Greg to bring some friends around, he interprets it to mean, my mom thinks I have no friends, which she didn't mean at all. She's completely upbeat, in stark contrast to Greg and Marco. Actually reminds me of my mom a little bit, minus the fake boobs comment. That almost seemed a little out of place for her to say. Shauna seems very comfortable and relaxed in terms of dress and demeanor. I can buy her enjoying a luxurious home. I was just a little surprised that she went through the trouble of having plastic surgery. But I think what they're trying to demonstrate is that she is living a affluent life and doesn't really have to think about money in the same way that Greg and Marco do. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit with the Greg scenes. I can understand why Greg is annoyed that his mom touts working at the bar as a positive thing when he actually hates it so much. He must feel like she doesn't live in the real world or has any conception of what he's dealing with. Working at a bar doesn't define him. Greg doesn't want his identity to be associated with that. You can tell that his mom and half-siblings are trying hard, though. I can also understand why Greg would bristle at the idea of having to lean on his mom's financial contributions to go back to school when he resents her a great deal. For him, it would feel like being beholden to a nemesis. Of course, he could also look at it as free money from someone who already owes him. We know Greg has multiple reasons for not going back to school, not all of them financial, as discussed in previous podcast episodes. 
Ironically, Greg seems to resent his half-siblings, Mason and Lily, for being, quote, freeloaders because he didn't have that life with Marco, and his mom didn't insist upon shared custody. Part of it might be the principle of the thing, but part of him might also feel resentful or regretful that he didn't have that life with his mom growing up. He could have had privileges and opportunities that he didn't take, and there's a possibility they could have made him happier and more fulfilled, such as accepting money to go to his preferred college. Because Greg and his father didn't have money, Greg sort of developed this attitude that being poor means that you're a harder worker, that you earned it more than somebody who's affluent, that sort of perspective. For a long time, it seems like his pride just isn't going to let him do handouts, even though his mom and stepdad genuinely want to support him and invest in his future. Of course, the majority of people watching this scene are going to note that Greg's projecting his static view of his mom onto her as she is now. He's got an idea of who she is that isn't really warranted. Heather serves as a foil for this, pointing out that Greg's perspective is skewed. I just wanted to play devil's advocate a little, since I do get why some of these things annoy Greg, whether it's fair or not. So then we move to a scene with Josh, and he meets a kid who's going to his former high school who says, Are you Josh Chan? Like, THE Josh Chan? Some people actually did view him that way more than just Rebecca. Rachel Bloom and her husband Dan Greger have revisited this concept in multiple places. The idea of a person who's top of the world in high school, leader of the pack, and how that can change after everyone leaves high school. They also focus on a lot of those themes in Dan and Adam Pally's movie Most Likely to Murder, which Rachel is also in. We move back to Naomi and Rebecca at home, and Naomi says, I gotta hit the ladies. Room, I ain't no football player. This is the joke Rebecca also makes at home base. She tells her mom she loves that joke, so she must have gotten it from Naomi. Naomi completely manipulates the situation with Calvin. When Rebecca gets the call from him, she makes it sound like Rebecca should meet with Calvin because work is important and makes a pretty convincing argument that sounds like she's being supportive, and then suddenly makes it clear that this is all about her wanting to land Calvin. She's willing to ditch Hanukkah for it even though Naomi is constantly emphasizing how important her Jewish traditions are. Definitely similar to some of Rebecca's impulsive reactions when Josh summons her. And at dinner, Naomi is just completely inappropriate, talking about Rebecca's sexual history with her client. We learn that Rebecca had some dalliances with the Ivy League acapella circuit in college. So we've got improv troupe, acapella circuit... Apparently a baritone gave her HPV, which may be part of the reason she's so well-researched on STD prevention. Remember, most people don't know about the window. I'm always curious about this time in Rebecca's life and how those interactions with guys shaped her. So then we get into the most intense scene with Greg and his mom. And I'm probably in the minority here, but I thought Heather might have been a bit out of line saying some of the blunder things she said directly to Greg's mom, especially considering she barely knows him. Things like, sorry, Poopsie over here hasn't had his nap yet. And don't get him started. He's just never gotten over you leaving him. And then to Greg, you need to get over yourself and grow up. Right in front of everybody. In the context of a TV show, everybody laughs and thinks that she might be right. But if you really think about it happening in real life, it very well may be interpreted as Heather crossing a boundary. On first watch, I was actually pretty amazed that Greg still decided to date her after that. But he was suckered in by Heather actually saying that she thought he was cute both before and after that, which Greg doesn't hear enough. And Greg surprisingly swallows his pride, even when his half-brother Mason calls him a dick, and apologizes to his mom. 
I mean, I agree that Greg doesn't really have much of a reason to hate his mom. I agree that it would be good for him to try to cultivate a relationship with her. We learn that Greg sided with his dad because Marco felt abandoned by Shauna. So while Shauna would have loved for Greg to live with her, she didn't insist upon shared custody because she didn't want to force it. And looking back, she believes she should have. The distance made things worse. Shauna left Marco because they were both unhappy. It doesn't sound like there was cheating involved. It all checks out. I'm just not sure it was Heather's place to say all that openly, even if she had a talk with Greg about it later in private. It could have just as easily ended up with Greg furious and made things worse between him and his mom. I have a feeling I may be in the minority with this take, though. Fans tend to agree with Heather's decisions on the whole. And Greg himself tells Heather that she saved the holiday with her lack of social decorum. I mean, this is really surprising coming from someone with Greg's cynical, sarcastic background. I think my thing is, it could have easily gone down a much different way, depending on how Greg reacted. And even if Greg saw Heather's point, he might not have appreciated that she said all those things right in front of his mom and other members of his family. I honestly might have been pretty PO'd if a friend did that to me, because it does feel a little bit like disloyalty, even if it's coming from a well-intentioned place. If they want to discuss it with me in private, I'm fine with that, but to me it felt like Heather butted in and the only reason it worked is because Greg reacted so graciously and accepted straight-up criticism and reconciled with his mom. It was too blunt to be constructive criticism, even though I feel sure that Heather meant it in a constructive way. The other interesting thing is the similarities between Greg's situation and Rebecca's. They both have a strained relationship with at least one parent, both felt abandoned by a parent, and they both have younger half-siblings that they aren't entirely close to and don't know how to deal with. Both Greg and Rebecca idealize their dads in some ways, yet also critique them, and have resentment towards their moms. Both Naomi and Shauna were given the same hairstyle in this episode. They both had shoulder-length dark brown hair with the tips flipped up, that kind of 1960s style. It'll be fun to see if this parallel between Greg and Rebecca's families gets explored anymore in season 4. It actually kind of intersected in the moment when Rebecca sleeps with Marco, in part because she has a father complex due to Silas. Back at the restaurant when Calvin's away, Naomi says to Rebecca, You have no idea what it's like for a single woman of my age in Westchester. Everyone is so boring or married or cancer. I mean, this part I get. But then she says Calvin is practically throwing himself at her, and again we have Naomi's lack of self-awareness, or perhaps such a deep-seated desire for a fulfilling relationship or even some attention that she's willing to delude herself in order to cope. Which, you know, is almost sadder. Naomi was a tough pill to swallow on a first watch. Hilarious character, though. But on rewatches, I start to sympathize with her a little more. Not excuse her behavior towards Rebecca at all, not even particularly like her, just understand where she's coming from, even if her actions aren't good. Rebecca actually goes through with it and asks Calvin to sleep with her mom against all better judgment. And then when she gives him a reason, it's not even because I desperately want to please my mom, which is also true, but because of the Garfinkel ring. It's like someone struck a sour chord and it reverberated throughout the restaurant. Rebecca puts her own desire for this ring, and perhaps more importantly, what it represents in terms of Naomi's acceptance, ahead of Calvin's uncomfortableness at being sexually propositioned when he didn't welcome it. 
On first watch, I was also surprised and disappointed that Rebecca was willing to risk Calvin sleeping with her mother, considering that Paula had been contemplating the same thing in the previous episode. It seemed like a betrayal to Paula. Granted, it seems like she's over Calvin, but it was a very quick turnaround. It's astounding when we see Rebecca tell her mom that Calvin really wanted to sleep with her, but she sent him away because he's her biggest client and she didn't want to mix work and personal life. She's sparing her mom's feelings and pride, even at the expense of her mom being angry with her. There is something surprisingly commendable about that because we know it's a sacrifice on Rebecca's part. It means not getting her mom's approval, not getting the Garfinkel ring. But it also inadvertently keeps Naomi in the dark with no sense of self-awareness. Rebecca sort of helps Naomi keep up the charade. If Naomi's castles in the sky start to fall down, Rebecca builds her a moat and a drawbridge. If some outright rejection breaks the fourth wall in Naomi's movie, Rebecca builds it back up again. She's protecting her mother, but also unintentionally stunting her mom's potential for growth and development. Rebecca has tried to shield Naomi from reality as much as possible. We see her literally craft a scene in the beginning, taking down the Christmas decorations and organic stuff around the condo, instead putting up Hanukkah decor and a photo of her mother. This is Rebecca setting the stage of a play. She even casts Paula in the role of British Jewish friend. She treats the White Feather crew like extras. When she sees that Naomi is interested in Calvin, she reluctantly tries to shoehorn Calvin into being the male lead. Rebecca even gets in costume by wearing pantyhose, blazers, and more professional skirts, lots of black and white, etc. She makes up an elaborate plot through the telling of fibs, whether it's about the fancy Jewish law firm she supposedly works at, or the Saudi prince she supposedly dated. She not only pictures herself in a musical, she's also part-time directing Naomi's. So then we get to Winter Wonderland, and Josh says to the high school kid, these are the good old days, like the best of times, so enjoy them. This has so many shades of meaning now that we've seen the season four episode with their class reunion. Josh did have a good time in high school, but not everything was truly the way he thought it was. Lots of kids did think he was cool, but his own friends humored him a lot. He wasn't actually the pick for prom king, why Joe was. And Valencia cheated on him with his good friend, so their relationship was not what he thought it was either. She chose Father Bra over him, meaning Valencia was settling for Josh the whole time. No wonder she was always trying to improve him. No wonder she seemed annoyed with him a lot. Josh doesn't know he was cheated on, at least where we currently stand in season four, with only eight episodes having aired, but he did start to take in the other stuff. Just as a side note, now that we have seen some of season four, a few podcast episodes ago I had mentioned that there was this time when Valencia started dieting, like the time she started dieting and trying to keep herself extra thin. If you do the math, it was probably when Josh came back from camp. And so my original thought was that she sensed that something was different and was perhaps motivated to diet and lose weight as an effort to keep him. But now that we know this extra piece with Father Bra, that would actually line up with them continuing a relationship and her cheating on Josh even though he's back and they got back together. It would pretty much exactly line up with that as well. So maybe Valencia was starting to diet to impress Father Bra and 
try to get his attention and please him. It's just interesting when we get extra storylines here and there's always another layer to think about. Going back to Josh's scene, that high school kid is very mature for his age, that he actually gave up a shot and let Josh go on. When Naomi and Rebecca are arguing at the Winter Wonderland area, I'd just like to note that it's when Naomi calls Josh Chan a loser that Rebecca loses it and stands up to her. That seems to be her last straw. That seems to be what motivates her to just go off on her mother finally after she's been holding it in this entire visit. Naomi says she wants to understand Rebecca, but then she judges her for moving to West Covina for Josh and doesn't try to understand why. Naomi says she came to West Covina to make peace with Rebecca and give her the Garfinkel ring, which is surprising considering she hates all of Rebecca's recent life choices. It's a really big step for Rebecca to say she doesn't need the Garfinkel ring, even though it's been a goal of hers for a long time. She's willing to give up her mother's approval because her mom is unreasonable and, quote, can never be pleased. Rebecca actually says to her, you're a horny, unemployed divorcee who married an Irish Catholic. So I've often wondered about this. Here she says her mom is unemployed. What kind of work did she do when she was working? Has she been unemployed for an indefinite period of time? Again, we've got parallels with Greg's family here. Naomi gave up her dream of becoming a lawyer due to having a child, and Marco lost the restaurant business he built. So both of them are unemployed and bitter about it. It does make me wonder, how is she supported financially? What's going on there? Naomi says her number one priority is making sure Rebecca can survive, not for her to be happy. So she and Rebecca are misaligned on this. I do appreciate the speech she gives Rebecca here because it's impassioned, heartfelt, and explains some of the motivation behind her behavior, misguided though it may be. She worries about Rebecca, loves her so much that it's impossible not to worry. And that worry and fear turns into a fierce desire to arm Rebecca with the tools to survive, even if Rebecca and Naomi will never agree on exactly what those tools are. It's really interesting that she says survival too, because it makes me think of Rebecca's suicide attempts. And, you know, in general, Naomi means being able to take on the world and be resourceful and be able to handle things on your own no matter what happens. But in some cases, especially in Rebecca's case, surviving means literally surviving, not dying, not committing suicide, not getting to that place where you no longer want to survive. But ironically, this makes Rebecca and Naomi's competing desires kind of dovetail together because part of making sure Rebecca literally survives is making sure that she's happy. We see Heather and Greg at the Winter Wonderland 2, and Heather's complete lack of a worry about quitting her job spontaneously is amazing. It would feel pretty freeing, but I can't imagine it would always work that well in real life. Her ability to just go with the flow wherever it takes her and be fluid, mutable, and adaptable is something I'm sort of envious of and sort of suspicious of. I'd always want to be putting safeguards in place or make a plan before acting. We do later learn that this habit of quitting things sometimes means that Heather missed out. At the end of the episode, everybody breaks into California Christmas time. And I just wanted to point out the line, Chet's nuts roasting in the bright sunlight. And the guy who plays Chet walks by without pants, but also holding a bowl of nuts. 100% that's how they got past the censors. Just like they had to give Jason stress balls in an earlier episode. So California Christmas time itself, 
This was such a great way to end the first arc of season one. This is right before they went on winter break. And as I was re-watching it this time, I had recently come from my friend's tarot class and it actually made me think that this scene where they're all coming together and they're singing and dancing unironically with happiness and joy, looking forward to things, it reminded me of the Ten of Cups card in tarot. That card means a happy family, happy home, security, a sense of community, and a culmination of sorts where you feel like you finally have what you need to be happy. It's the happiness card, essentially. Well, it's not actually like this in Rebecca's real life yet, her fantasy number here gives me that feeling. Incidentally, the tarot comparisons also made me think that no one else is singing my song is like the Five of Cups. That card typically depicts a figure who's essentially crying over spilled milk, feeling sorry for herself. There are other cups around and behind her, but she doesn't notice because she's so focused on the past, on what she's lost. And of course, that made me think of especially Rebecca in No One Else Is Singing My Song, because Rebecca is the one who doesn't notice that there are a lot of other people around her feeling the same. And everyone else starts to pick up on that, but she doesn't see it. But going back to California Christmas time and the Ten of Cups and Tarot and that happy family culmination feeling, that's what I want. Hearing that song always makes me feel upbeat and excited and hopeful, but also bittersweet and nostalgic. So many feelings all at once. It's the melody and the way the scene is set with everybody coming together as a community. And we know these characters really well, better than we know some of our acquaintances and casual friends in real life. I respond well to familiarity and connection. You can see how much Rebecca craves that too, when she comes out of the fantasy and no one lingers as long as she does. But she's starting to build a foundation in West Covina, and that's huge. So before we get to the segments of the podcast, just another reminder that you can support us at patreon.com slash teamwestcovina. And if you're able to leave us a review or five stars or anything like that, it would be fantastic. It helps other people find the podcast. And hopefully with new Greg returning and all the things happening in the fandom, we'll get more people looking for podcasts again. Our first segment is Who Done It? And there really aren't any in this episode. Rebecca and Paula are both focused more on other things, and they're not really dealing with the romance aspect so much, so it's quiet for this week. For Ring of Fire, the fire reference in each episode, there's a fireplace decoration by Daryl's office when they have decorated Whitefeather for Christmas. Rebecca says to Calvin about her mom, I bet she's a real spitfire in the sack. For Suicide Watch, there really isn't anything other than the ironic reference to survival that Naomi makes. But we do have some more insight for our Booze Clues segment. Heather remembers Greg from Rebecca's party as the guy who got really drunk and then slow danced with that giant fish. Heather says he asked it to go home with him, and Greg doesn't remember it happening. So he must have been blackout drunk or something along those lines. And that's incredibly intense and scary, a whole other level, actually. You know, people who are blackout drunk or have gotten to that point might not even be cognizant enough to respond to situations the way they normally would. I've definitely met people in real life that don't remember what happened after consuming that much alcohol. And if they did something they don't agree with in regular life, they don't even remember doing it. So it's 
played off like a joke in this little exchange, but it's definitely an indication that Greg could be an alcoholic and need some help. In our Nailed It segment, it looks like Rebecca is wearing white nail polish pretty much the entire episode, presumably for her mom, when her mom visits town, similar to the I'm a Good Person episode. That's the other time she had white nail polish on. She wants her mom to think she's a good person and worth it and valuable. In music notes, we discuss the songs of the episode, what they're parodying or what they're inspired by, partly using the Spotify commentaries on the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend commentary album for some insights. Where's the Bathroom is written by Jack Dolgen, Adam Schlesinger, and Rachel Bloom. And Rachel says she couldn't sleep, so she went to her bathtub and wrote down some lines for the song, and Adam pushed them to decide what the chorus would be, something better than just her mom announcing that she's here. And Rachel finally tossed out where's the bathroom as an example. Adam said it adds this extra layer of tension because she has to pee. Tova does a really good job of creating that intense, dramatic feeling where Rebecca immediately feels overwhelmed and exhausted as soon as her mom walks in the door. Meanwhile, California Christmas Time was written by Adam Schlesinger, Rachel Bloom, Jack Dolgen, but also Aline Brosh McKenna, Dan Greger, and Renee Goubet. And this is partly because they were all so busy and could barely find time to get together and write a song. And they point out in this commentary that they all have other full-time jobs besides writing the songs. Adam is producing, Rachel's acting, Jack, as well as Dan and Renee, are writers for the show, and Aline, of course, is the showrunner. But it it is really important for it to be their unique voices. I mean, they could obviously hire songwriters if they want to, but finding people that gel and that come at things from that same perspective is really difficult. I mean, you can kind of tell when it's a signature Rachel song. And same with Adam, you know, we kind of know his style and his technique and it's hard for them to find the time, but it is really good that we're hearing it directly from them. Cause I do think that might change the feel of things. And they basically said that they thought about doing a song about Jews at Christmas. They also thought about making this song a darker number, but Adam pushed for an upbeat group number, which was definitely the right call in my opinion. I think fans really love seeing a whole bunch of the characters come together, especially because there's a lot of dramatic tension on the show, and so getting to see everybody happy and all in one place is kind of rare. Adam also said he wanted to do a really sad version of California Hanukkah as the music that closed the episode. So addressing the theme of this particular episode, in addition to the obvious family resentments theme, there's another that it's closely aligned with, and that's perception and perspective. This extends not only to Rebecca and Greg's family situations, but also to Josh and how he views high school, how he was viewed in high school, how the high school boy that he interacts with views him. He calls him Mr. Chan. Rebecca is used to lying and creating an entire false backdrop in order to please her mom, So of course she tries to do this throughout her life with Josh, with Paula, with basically everyone. She thinks this is the only way people will like her, yet ironically the deception turns people off. Naomi perceives things like Calvin's interest in her even when it's not there, even before Rebecca lies to her about it. And Greg gets some much needed perspective from Heather and his mom, which causes him to view the situation differently. 
So everybody's dealing with perception and perspective on some level and possibly reshaping those things. Looking back at our past poll results, the question was, who do you ship Paula with? And 0% said Jeff, 0% said Calvin, 10% said someone else, and 90% said Scott. So the reason I did this poll is I was curious how people felt about whether or not Paula and Scott should stay together after the infidelity and after the other marital problems they were having. We know the decision Paula made, and it seems like it's a pretty stable one at this point, but I was curious if viewers agreed with her or if people were split on it or how people felt. But interestingly, it seems to be pretty strong that people see her with Scott and that they think this is something that's capable of being worked out and that they can still have a successful marriage after it. And right now that seems to be the case. Paula's worked through a lot of things over the seasons and although we don't always get as much time with her and Scott where we get an inner monologue or or really check in with Paula, from what we see, it seems like they're doing a lot better as a family. So the poll question for this time, which you can find on Twitter, Team West Covina, who did you relate to the most in the California Christmas episode? Rebecca, Josh, Greg, or Heather? And the podcast question for this time is, how has your family shaped you into the person you are today, for better or worse? And there's no Acopian's Corner this time, unfortunately. I just didn't find anything that this episode organically reminded me of, so I decided to skip it. It's more family-based, it's kind of going off on a different track, and I didn't particularly relate to any of it, even though I enjoyed it. It didn't really remind me of things that mirrored my life. But A Copian's Corner in the first episode of the new year will launch into the 4th of July weekend that culminated in Cheetah and me expressing feelings for each other. There's lots of hijinks and scenes that seem like they came straight out of a movie, so it should be fun. I also may be able to add a new element to the podcast occasionally in 2019. Haven't tried it out yet, but I may have a few more surprises coming. You can reach out to the podcasters, start discussions, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all under Team West Covina. You can also email me at paisley.podcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and hope everyone has a happy holiday. Bye.